0: The following message by Pastor Tim is brought to you by Together in Christ. If you have your Bibles, if you want to turn to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 3 is where we'll be this morning. We're going to look at Jesus' baptism today. We're going to start a new series as well this morning. Uh, I want to speak to that uh, briefly. This series should take us hopefully through May. Uh, on the life of Jesus Christ. And so it'll take us through Easter time as well, looking at, looking at specifically the, the life of Christ. We're doing this for a couple reasons. We, we met together, really, and I, I could share with you the preaching calendar for the, for the whole year, to be honest. Through May, we'll, we'll do this, the, the life of Jesus Christ. And then in June and July, we'll be in Psalms. We're going to look at about eight different, eight different Psalms. And then in August, we'll be in the book of Esther, And then when we get to the fall into September, we'll be in 1st and 2nd Samuel. We'll be looking through 1st and 2nd Samuel. And so that's kind of the directions that we're going for many different reasons. But our focus, again, is going to be on the life of of Jesus Christ. And one of the reasons we're doing this is because we realize that, that we need to understand who Christ is. Who this Jesus is that we sing about, that we worship, that the Bible speaks so much about. He, he really is the most important person to ever live. He is. And we need to treat him as such and we need to know about him. History hinges on him. Also, uh, I think this is a good initiation of short sorts into what Pastor uh, Scott mentioned a little bit ago about the discipleship class that will be starting here at the beginning of February in the fireside room that Pastor Spencer will be teaching on the essentials of, of Christianity. One of the things that I'm finding out as I get to know people better, and not just here in our church, but even Christians in other places, is there are a lot of Christians who just don't know. You say, know what? I'm just going to stop there. They just, they just don't know. I can, I can stop there. When you start to talk to them maybe about things in their life, or you start to, to talk to them about how they make decisions, or all these different things, you start to realize you just, I don't know if you know what scripture really says. You know the name Jesus and you you might even know that, you know, it's through Christ that we can be saved. You might say that word or something like that, but it, it seems like we need to have a better grasp and a better understanding of what Scripture really says and then how it how it impacts our life. How it how it changes our life. It changes us drastically. And so I want to look at the life of Christ for the next couple months, the next few months. And like I said, today we'll be in Jesus' baptism. So I want to read for you from Matthew chapter 3. We're going to read the whole chapter together this morning. It says, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John himself was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the region around the Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, brood of vipers, who warns you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance." And do not think to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And you are coming to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased want us to do our best to look through this passage this morning faithfully. It's actually the task given to me wasn't just Jesus' baptism, but also his temptation. But I won't get to his temptation this morning, hopefully tonight, as long as our business portion of our meeting tonight doesn't take too long. We'll be looking at Jesus' temptation. But we're going to answer just a, a couple questions as we go through here. And the first thing that we need to look at is really in verses 1 through 12. I don't want to stand this too long cuz it's not the point of the message but John the Baptist and his baptism what is that well you know what was going on here it's a big part of this of this chapter and what we see is we see John came and he came preaching a baptism of repentance now baptism really wasn't a common thing at all at this time i tried to do a lot of research into this to be honest with you and I was looking at even different rabbis' writings and and different things, and some would try to say, well, you know, the Jewish people, they did baptisms, but it always went to cleansings. That's what they referenced as baptisms. It always went to the cleansings that priests would have to do uh, before they went into the temple, all these these different things. But what what I found out is there really was not very significant baptism. Baptism was not important. You didn't see it happening. And so this was something relatively new. Again, not, not totally new, but relatively new, and John is out here in the wilderness preaching for people to be baptized. And the fact of the matter is that many people were going out to John, and they were being baptized out in this wilderness. And this is a big deal, because baptism wasn't something that was just kind of like, eh, all right, sure. Sounds good to me. No, this was a big deal. This was them making a really, really big statement They were not going to the temple to seek forgiveness of their sins and sacrifices when they were doing this. They were saying, no, I'm going to be forgiven of my sin here. I'm going to repent here, and I'm going to be baptized into this repentance. That that was a big deal for a Jewish person. I'm sure if their family found out, they wouldn't have been happy about that. Still to this day, we see this with baptism all around the world. But that word repentance is very important as well for John the Baptist. It's a very important word for us still today. There is no forgiveness of sin apart from repentance. But this word repentance is something that's really been watered down over time. Repentance seems to be oftentimes, well, you know, if I walk forward to an altar and I tell the pastor that I'm sorry for the sins that I have committed and I tell God, God, I'm sorry for the sins that I've committed and I... Go back to living my life. I just repented of my sin. I, I said that I was I was sorry for the forgive for my sins. That's that's not what repentance is. Repentance isn't just merely recognizing our sin. Repentance even, isn't even just going to God and asking for forgiveness of our sin. That's not what repentance is. Repentance is actually turning from sin entirely, despising sin, not returning to sin. Charles Spurgeon would write this about. Repentance, He says, repentance is a discovery of the evil of sin, a mourning that we have committed it and a resolution then to forsake it. It is in fact a change of mind of a very deep and practical character, which makes the man catch this, love what once he hated and hate what once he loved. Some of us today, we we sit here and we know we shouldn't watch that movie. But we don't hate that movie. In fact, we really love that movie. We won't watch that movie maybe because we want to be obedient to God. But we don't hate that movie. And we struggle because we don't really necessarily hate that particular sin. In fact, we would love it if God would just say, go ahead and do that sin. That that is a sign of, of not true repentance. See, we must. Our prayers shouldn't just be, God, help me in this sin. Help me to overcome this sin. Help me not to do this sin. But I think when we have a heart towards repentance, what our prayers become is, God, help me to despise this sin. Help me to get away from this sin. I don't want to just not do this sin. I don't want to even be tempted by this sin. I don't want to think good of this sin. I don't want to think about maybe going back into this sin. God, I don't want this sin to be a part of my life at all. I want to turn from it absolutely, completely, completely. And so this is what John was preaching. In order to be baptized by John, you must be willing to repent. You must admit that you are a sinner and say that you are ready to turn from that sin. And then John would baptize you. That's what was happening out in this desert. He's preaching repentance and he's preaching baptism, but it also says in verse 11, says that he was there to prepare the way of the Lord. One of John's duties, I guess you could say, that prophecy would say, was John was there to point to the Messiah, was to point to the Savior of the world. Scripture spoke that this would happen. It was prophesied in a few different places. In Malachi chapter four, verse five through six, it says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Isaiah 40, verse 3. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. These are references of John the Baptist. And John was the chosen one. John was the prophet that was prophesied here that would come as Elijah, speaking the good news that the Messiah is coming. And John was adamant. Every time we see John in Scripture preaching that, he was adamant to say, I'm, I'm not the one. I'm not the Savior. I'm not, I'm not the Messiah. I'm preparing the way for him. I am not even, I'm not worthy of him at all. And we see John fulfilling this role actually in great humility. Because when we get to verses 13 and 14 and Jesus all of a sudden shows up on the scene out there, before this, you have John who is pretty boisterous, right? The religious people would come, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and he'd point them out in the crowd and he's not nice to them. Calls them snakes and vipers. You should repent. We see this fiery guy. And all of a sudden walks in Jesus. Jesus steps up to John. And what is John's attitude? All of a sudden his, his attitude kind of changes it seems. His demeanor changes. All of a sudden we see this humility come, a, come upon him in the face of the Savior. And he would say, I, I, can't, I can't baptize you. I, I need you to baptize me. Who am I? Who am I to baptize my Savior? See, John knew his role. He knew he wasn't the one, but he also knew that Jesus was. He needed to be smaller so that Jesus could then step into his role that he was about to do, which was one of the purposes of his baptism, which we'll get to in a moment. John knew that it was time for him to be lowered so that Christ could be exalted. As we get to verse 13 through 17, I want to ask the question, and I hope that we answer this this morning in in good detail, but the question of why did Jesus get baptized? Why did Jesus go to John? Why did all this happen? Why did this take place? Why did he go under the water? Why did all of this unfold? What was the purpose of it? And he really gives us the answer in verse 15, and we're going to unpack this, hopefully, like I said, in great depth. But look what he says. says. But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now. Why? For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. That was Jesus' answer to John. When John's like, whoa, why why would I baptize you? Jesus says, no, listen. This has to be done in order for us to fulfill all righteousness. This must take place. And that's then when John would do that. But what, what does that phrase mean? For us to fulfill all righteousness. Why didn't he say for me to fulfill all righteousness? Why us? Well, he said this because what Jesus was doing here is he's fulfilling prophecy. Prophecy is being fulfilled. John needed to be a part of that. It needed to happen. It needed to take place. And what Jesus is doing here is he is marking John, as I talked about already, as that prophet, Elijah, that was promised. Jesus is putting that on him here. And we see this promise unfolding. I think there's four or five, I think five I have written down here. Other reasons why Jesus got baptized and I want to go through them. First of all is this. What Jesus does here is he shows what humble obedience to the Father looks like. He's showing us what it means to be humble before God the Father. Here, Jesus steps out for his very first public act. Right? It's his first public act. And what does he do? He gets into water with sinners. He gets in, he gets into some water. I, I, I don't, I don't know what the water looked like. I don't know how clean it was, but I know this. It was dirty because of sinners being in it. I mean, that's who John is talking to. He's saying, repent, you brood of vipers. Repent, you sinners and get into this water. And then here comes in and steps Jesus Christ, the one who has nothing to repent for. There's no sin found in his body, but yet here he comes in his first public act and he steps into the water with sinners. Jesus' whole ministry is a show of humility to the Father's will. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 8, the Apostle Paul says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count it equality with God, a thing to be grasped. But emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the ruler of all things, the one to whom we look to. But yet he steps into this water a water of repentance with sinners. And why does he do this? He does this because he is obedient to his father's will. I don't want to make this about us, but I really think this takes a lot of excuses away from us and a lot of things that we find excuses for as Christians. I'm really amped up today, to be honest with you, and I I haven't had anything to drink. I haven't had anything like that, so it's not It's not fake. But I, I'm really amped up today, and I'm really trying hard to keep my thoughts to myself and preach just what is here and in God's word. But I, I, can, I hear a lot of excuses from church folk. I really do. I hear excuses all of the time, and it's really difficult. It's really difficult for me. Because what I want to say is I want to say, I want you to come live my life for a week. Come with me. I've got kids, too. I have a wife too. She works full time. I work full time. We're really busy. We have things going on. But you know what? The Lord is still very important to us. We still need to serve him. We still need to honor him. We still need to make time for him. Now, what you would see if you went with me in my life is I'm not perfect. You'd say, man, pastor, I don't know if he should be our pastor. You might even say that at some point. Just being honest. What I'm saying is excuses are excuses are excuses. We can all come up with excuses. And I have no doubt as Jesus stood right before that water, listening to John speak, he could have had many excuses. Number one being, Father, I'm not a sinner. I don't need to go in here. In fact, I could just reign and rule right now. But he didn't do that. Why? Because that wasn't the will of the Father. It wasn't about making excuses. It was about being humble. It was about about humility and fulfilling that role of humility. And what Jesus shows us here is what it means to be humble. That's why Jesus would say in John chapter six, verse 38, for I have come down from heaven, what? Not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. That's what he would say. It's not about me, Jesus would say. It's about the one who has sent me. And I want to serve him. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to obey and I'll be obedient to my father next thing that jesus does in his baptism is he gives us an example to follow gives his people an example to follow not only in humility but actually in the act of baptism cuz later in scripture jesus would call for his disciples to share the gospel with the whole world and to baptize them and peter would proclaim this in acts chapter 2 verse 38 right peter peter has Preach the gospel to all these people. The new church is getting ready to start. All this exciting stuff is happening there in the beginning of Acts. Peter's laying it all out in the line. Peter, who once was all scared and running away, now very boldly is proclaiming the gospel. And then he gets down to the brass tacks of it. In Acts chapter 2, verse 38, he says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is what one must do. When we are saved by the grace of God, it says, repent, repent of your sins, right? Repent of your sins, accept Christ as forgiveness of your sins. And then what? Then be baptized, then be baptized. Peter wasn't afraid to say that. Jesus gives us this example here to follow. Repent of your sins, which Jesus didn't need to do. He had no sin. There was no repentance that needed to take place. Yet he steps into that water and he is baptized. Why? Because then we can do what Jesus had done. We can, we can join him in his baptism, which means much more than just going under the water, which we'll get to here in a second. But he's being an example for us. Thus, it shows the importance of baptism. Jesus did this not just on a whim. It wasn't just something like, yeah, uh... Okay, sure, let's do it. That's why um, I kind of struggle personally with, uh, and I don't, I, don't, I don't go against people who do this, but I, I kind of struggle personally sometimes with people who are like, all right, you just got saved, right? Man, that is awesome. Here, let's go get baptized. Boom, let's do it really quick before you change your mind. I'm not a big fan of that because I worry about that. I want them to know why they're getting baptized and, and what it means and the purpose of it because it's important. I, I don't want to delay it. I don't, I don't mean that. Someone's saying, I need to be baptized, but I want them to know what it means. You know, a lot of times parents will come to me with their children and say, I think they're ready to be baptized. I want you to interview them and, and you see. I know every parent that's ever come to my office with that question has been very disappointed when they get to the interview time. I interview them, not the kid. I'm like, you live with them. Do you think they're saved? Do you think they know what they're talking about? Because I can ask "Okay, kid, well, why do you want to get baptized? And almost every time they're going to tell me the same thing. I want to go to heaven. Wrong answer. That's the wrong answer. And that's what they all say. That, that's not right. And so if you want my opinion, should your child be baptized? Not based off that answer, because that's wrong. Because baptism doesn't save. That's not what gets them into heaven. Jesus gets them into heaven. We get baptized to show what Christ has done in our life. So I asked the parents, you need to make sure they know. You need to make sure they're ready. You need to train them. You need to draw them. And then you come to me and then we'll talk. And I'm going to lean on you because you live with them. Are they ready? Do you think they should be baptized? I know for me, that was a big thing. Being saved at the age of seven. As I got older, first people I go to, my parents. Are you sure I knew what I was doing? Are you sure I knew what I was talking about? Are you sure it looked like Christ had done something in my life? And I went to my parents to ask those questions and for them to help me and and to guide me. And so Jesus doesn't just do this on a whim. It's not just a a tag-on thing. No, it was very purposeful because he wants us to see how important baptism is and how it identifies us with him and all that he is, his life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Next thing is it, it shows us how to fulfill the Great Commission, which I already mentioned. We are called as Christians, as ones who've been saved, to then go and to preach the gospel to all nations, but also to baptize them. Our our job is not finished when they are saved. Sadly, that's what a lot of people think is the task. That the task at hand is to get a lot of people saved. That's not our task. Our task is to share the gospel with them. When they repent of their sins, our task is to baptize them, And then our task after that is then to teach them all things that I have told you. A lot of ministries, the way they work, is their number one task is, no, we just want to get people saved. We're we're hell insurance. Uh, That's what we do here is we're just going to be hell insurance. No, that's not the task. That's part of the task is sharing the gospel. But then baptism, and then we call it discipleship to teach all things that I have observed. The last thing I want to point out about Jesus' baptism is that it does point to his death. That's one of the things that he was doing here. He was already predicting his death. He was letting the people see. I know they didn't understand this at this point, but we do. But he was pointing to the fact that he, would, that he would die, but that he would raise again. That he would raise again, and that he would conquer death, that he would conquer hell, and that he would conquer the grave. And that gets into the next question that I, that I ask. And this is how I kind of works. I read through scriptures asking questions, but Jesus gets baptized. Great. So what, what does that mean for me? Well, the Bible says I should be baptized. Well, why? What's the purpose of it? I have no doubt. There's people sitting here this morning. You would tell me that you are a Christian, but if I would ask you, well, have you been baptized? If you followed the Lord in believers baptism, have you done that after you've been saved by God's grace? Have you been baptized then? And you would say, no, I I, know I haven't. Well, I think this next question is really important for you. Then why? Why should I get baptized? Well, I think verse is this. There's a spiritual baptism that takes place. Romans chapter six, turn there. I know it'll be on the screen, but if you would take your Bible and turn there as well. I want you to see it. Romans chapter six, verse one through four. and newness of life. One of the things that happens when God sheds his grace on us and he saves us by his great grace is we go through a baptism in Christ's death. We become part of his death, that we've experienced his death because that is what we are leaning on. There's a word called atonement. Christ, our substitute. We trust that what has happened in our life is because of our sin, our sin, we deserve death. That's what we deserve. That's what scripture says because of sin, you deserve death. You deserve separation from God. But what Jesus Christ has done for us is he is the atonement of our sins. And so when he went to that cross, when he took the, when he took the nails, when he took the whips, when he took all of that, when he died, he did that in our place. That's what he's done. That's what salvation is. He has took our place so that we don't have to face that because of our sin. We do not have to face the penalty of that for our sin. We are fully cleansed because of the death of Christ, but it doesn't end there. Yes, he died, but he also rose again. We rise again in salvation. We have put to death the old man. God has put that to death. He sees Christ, and so now we are new, and we walk in this newness of life. That is the spiritual baptism that takes place in a believer's life. Now listen, you know just as well as I, we still mess up. Do we not? We, we do. We, we still mess up. We, we still fall short, but that does not change the grace of God that is on your life. You need to hear me when I say that. It doesn't change that. I know some of you this morning, right now you are sitting there thinking, but I have messed up so bad. Maybe I need to be saved again, or maybe I need to do this again. No, no. His grace is sufficient for you. You've been raised from that old life to a new life. And what we have in baptism, when God calls us to be baptized, this is the first command that we are given as new believers in Christ. The very first command, go and be baptized. And what it does is it symbolizes for us what has happened in our lives. Colossians chapter two, verse 11 through 15. Listen, as I read this, it says, in him also, you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith What baptism is, is God commands us then to step forward in a public act, just like Jesus had done here, in a public act. You see, you can be saved by the grace of God with nobody around. You don't have to do it here. You don't have to do it in this room. There's nothing special about this room, that this is where you get saved. You you can accept God's free gift of grace anywhere. What the Bible says is that once you have done that, he demands a public act a public act of baptism. You walk into that water to show publicly what has happened. And so you stand in that water dry as if covered in sin, right? Old man, I mean, yes, you've already been saved, so you're washed. Again, this is showing people what has happened in your life. You go under that water representing what? Death. Death to sin represents cleansing, represents newness, And the pastor doesn't leave you there. He brings you up. Why? To show a new life in Christ. A new life in Christ has come. And that's why we we celebrate. When somebody comes and they get baptized, it's it's a celebration time. Saying, look at what God has done in their life. Nothing that they could do. God has done this. God has saved them. God has changed them. And God has made them a part of us who have had that same thing happen. We are together. We are a family. And we celebrate that here today at this moment. That's what water baptism is. And we're called to this. It's not an option. It's that first command. Just like John. Repent and be baptized. The same goes out today. Repent of your sins. Trust in Christ and be baptized. But yet still today, many are held back. You're held back because you say, "Man, you know how nervous I'll be in there. There's so many. There's so many people here. I don't. I don't know. I don't know what's what's going to happen. I can tell you what's going to happen. You're going to go underwater and you're going to come back and you're going to walk out. That that's what's going to happen. No one's going to boo you. No one's going to shame you. No one's going to do any of that. If 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 we are your church family, we're going to rejoice with you. We're going to be excited. You say, Pastor Tim, you don't you don't know my history." My family's not going to like this. Uh, That's an excuse. And it's a weak one at that. Jesus would say, who is my mother? Who is my brother? Oh, it's these who serve with me. Listen, the, the family that you have on earth is a great, it's a great blessing from God, but they are not it. They are not your salvation. They are not your hope. They are not your source of peace. They're not your source of joy. Only Christ can fulfill that. And if you're relying on your family to do that, you are putting a burden on them that they do not deserve either. And if you say, you say, but my family will forsake me. What do you want more? Christ or your family? That's really the question. I I mean, it's just, I'm being very honest with you. You say, man, that's just not fair. There have been people throughout the centuries. Who face this. There are people today who face this in a much greater extent than you will. There are families in the Middle East right now, people, Christians, that when they get baptized, if they go to their family and they say, listen, I've accepted Christ as my Savior, uh, it's a deal, but not a big deal. But if they walk into that house and they say, hey, I was just baptized into Christ, big deal, we're killing you, they say. We're taking everything from you, your wife, your kids, everything. You're now completely ostracized. And we are seeking after you to kill you. I want you to know that because you've been baptized. Uh, well, maybe your family's saying that to you. I, I don't know if they are. That's a big deal. I'd love to pray for you and talk to you about it. But the question is, count the cost. Do you trust Christ as your everything? Is he? Jesus humbly submitted himself to the Father. Jesus humbly submitted walked into the waters. I want you to think how humiliating that would be for you if you were sinless. How humiliating that would feel. I mean, some of you get humiliated, you know, if you get asked to do something that you think, that's under my pay grade. Are you serious? Grab a broom? I don't do that stuff. The perfect spotless lamb walked into that muddy, dirty water and would go to John and say, you're gonna baptize me with these sinners. Because I want to be an example to them of what what we do. So who are we to say that we can't do that? If you're here this morning and you've never been saved by the grace of God, I hope that you will. I would trust that God's working in your heart. And if he is, I hope that you would respond to that and trust in him. And if you have been saved by his grace, but you've never followed him in baptism, what's stopping you? What 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 holds you back? If you have a legitimate excuse, I would love to talk to you about it. I really would. Because the Bible calls us to be baptized. And you need to be. You need to fully go out there. Let it be known who you are and what has happened in your life. And I trust that you'll do that if God's laying that on your heart. Let's bow together, let's pray. God, I thank you. God, I thank you how Jesus came, how he came in a humble manner as we look during the Christmas season. Then also how he just served with humility. God, he wasn't afraid to stand up for the truth and to to speak to people how he needed to be. He wasn't afraid to talk to them about sin in their life. He he didn't shy away from that. It wasn't that he was weak, but he was just humble. God, I pray that you would humble us in our lives. I know this wasn't the full point of the message, but God, just give us humility to think of others before ourselves, to be willing to lay ourselves down at your feet and understanding that when we do that, we are laying ourselves down at the feet of others. Because that's what you've called us to. Not to put all kinds of excuses in the way. But to really commit. And God, baptism is one of these things that you've given us. To stand before the world to say, I am his and this is what he has done for me. God, I pray for that person here this morning who's struggling with that. God, I pray that you would break them. I pray that they would humbly come to you and seek out baptism as we're called to do. And God, I do pray, of course, I try to always pray this every day for those here this morning who maybe are not yours. God, I pray that more would be. I pray that they would hear the truth of the gospel. They would seek forgiveness of their sins through Christ, the only Savior. God, during this time as we sing this song, I pray that we would use it as a time of response. God, however that needs to be done, in our seats, people can come forward if they want and pray, seek your face. But God, we just wanna respond to your word and the truth of your word. And so God, I thank you again for the example of Christ, the example that he laid before us. But God, I also thank you for this, knowing We could not follow that example perfectly. We don't need to because he did it for us. And so, God, I pray that we would hold on to that truth more than anything. And so I thank you for that this morning. We pray this in his name. Amen. You have been listening to a message by Pastor Tim from Together in Christ. This content has been provided to you by Monroe Missionary Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at mmbconline.org.